Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Samuel chapter 17, and I want to read some of the verses that are in the closure of that particular book. 1 Samuel 17 is perhaps one of the better worn chapters of the Bible and stories of the Bible. Uh, but I want to visit, I want to visit the last few verses here for our purposes tonight. Sometimes I'm afraid to say perhaps what a sermon may be like, but I would dare to say that this may be somewhat practical here this evening. But that's okay. We need that just as much as uh, some other things sometimes. But First uh, Samuel 17 and verse number 55, the Bible states these words. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son this stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Now that is a picture to get in your mind. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. There's quite interest here within these verses of King Saul wanting to know whose son David is. Or even maybe stating it a little bit more generally for our purposes, whose family he belongs to. And so tonight, with the help of the Lord, I want to talk to us about for the next few moments family influence family influence hallelujah we need the Lord's help tonight we need God to be able to speak to us through his word will you pray here this evening father I come to you tonight I pray oh Lord that you're able to move upon each and every heart and each and every soul God the hearers of the word the hearers of your people I pray, O oh God, this evening that you're able to speak, Lord God, in a way that our lives can be challenged, our lives, Lord, can be instructed. God, that we can, Lord, pull some understanding and help from the word of the Lord tonight. God, grant us, I pray, God, the anointing of your spirit. God, in the next little while, in some measure to convey, Lord, the importance, Father, of family influence. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen of the church say amen. Amen. God bless you this evening in Jesus' name. 
this particular topic in certain regards has taken center stage right now all across America the idea and the concept of the family within our nation within our states it is a hot topic if you will among both the public sector and the private sectors of our world much has been said in the past few weeks about the influence that coronavirus is having on families good family situations are becoming better it would seem as a result of the quarantine that is taking place within the confines of our homes and yet on the other hand perhaps bad family situations are being amplified due to the stay in place orders it has taken coronavirus in certain means has taken a segregated society or perhaps even better yet a segregated home and has forced it to interact days on end right Monday through Friday and including Saturday and Sunday that husbands and wives and many homes are around each other and children are around each other we have some men and women that are working from home and the children of course are being schooled at home with their parents being their primary onboard teacher and instructor during those hours that they spend on their studies more meals are being cooked at home and shared with the family at the dining room table which may not have happened as frequently as it is happening right now prior to COVID-19 backyards at night are and even during the day for that matter are actually being used for family activities and recreation time I know even within my neighborhood it's nothing to find three or perhaps four people families in their backyards at night fire pits are blazing and and uh, there's activities that's taking place in the backyards and the swings on the front porches of homes are holding mothers and fathers husbands and wives in the evening as they just sit there uh, just contemplating the untouchable world that's around them during these moments of time. And then also there are time-starved children that are making bank, if you will, on creating moments with their parents, which all prior to COVID-19 seemed to be elusive to them, just couldn't have any time or any quality time, any time just to throw a ball back and forth in the backyard or time just to listen, time to have the ear bent uh, by the children of the house. Prior to COVID-19, members of the family were divided into their own camps of society. Daycares had our toddlers. Schools had our children. The workforce had our moms and our dads. Restaurants had our mealtimes with about 20 televisions hung around there and all the ambient music of noise and such blasting through the airways. And so there has been now for a period of time what some have called a holy pause, what others might arguably call a necessary pause for the American family, for the church family, for the nuclear family. 
And perhaps I'd like to turn our minds tonight toward God and his word concerning the family because God has hinged much upon the family throughout his word from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The family, according to God, was a good idea. It was a noble idea. The only thing in the creative pages of the book of Genesis that God thought or even said was not good was when he came across the aloneness of man. He said it's not good that man should be should be alone. And so the scripture says that he made man Adam a helpmeet. And he made Eve from his side, amen, and brought her to him. And the Bible says he commanded that man and his wife, that couple then, to be fruitful and to multiply and bring, if you will, seed upon the earth. And therein entered the children then of the family. And we had, from the very beginning of Genesis, a nuclear family when God shared with Israel all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments that he had divulged unto them even his oneness that he had shared with them he implored them and he instructed them he says listen here man and wife the leaders of the nation of Israel that I've spoken to he says I want you to diligently teach these commandments and these statutes unto your children with the Jewish family. Amen. Parents were and are the most impressive teachers of their children. If anybody's going to have any type of influence upon their kids, it's going to be their mother and their father. If there's going to be any type of fingerprint or footprint upon their children, any type of swaying of the dynamics and the thoughts of their mind and their worldview, it's going to come from their parents, any other person that would that would lean in to aid or any other agency that would come alongside them are simply just seen as assistants. They, they are not the primary role. They are not the one that are purporting exactly what their children need. They take that upon themselves. It's the responsibility of the parents to have the utmost impression upon their children. For that matter, all of the Jewish holidays and dates that are on the calendar of a Jew encompasses the family. It encompasses their home. All You can look at all the different celebrations they have on their calendar of their holidays. And it is family oriented. It is all, most of them, taking place within the confines of their home. You will see at different times through the calendar year that they are sharing particular meals together. There are some of these holidays in which they pray together and they work together together or nonetheless they are celebrating together and it's in these moments on their calendar that parents are teaching their children about God and how to revere God and respect God and honor God this has been the story amen from the Old Testament even forward into the New Testament amen the family as a unit it rose together and it fell together they were in what they were in in life 
together. That's the reason why you see from our lesson this morning that when there's Dathan and Byram and the Korah, amen, that's going to be swallowed up by the earth, the Bible says they're in their tent doors alongside them were their wives and their sons and their little children next to them. And so when the earth opened up and swallowed them, it wasn't just the men of the family, but their wives and their children. The family rose together and it fell together. That's the reason why that whenever you go to the book of Joshua and you read of Achan that partook of the accursed thing that he was not supposed to take the Babylonian garment the wedge of gold and the silver that when it was found out he had taken these things the Bible says they took not just Achan by himself but they took his sons and his daughters and everything that he had and everything that he had taken to the valley of Accor and they stoned that family and they burned that family because the family unit was just that, a unit. There was a oneness, if you will, in the family. They did things together. Amen. Their failures were together. Their successes were together. Even as we read the story of Daniel as we did from this morning. Amen. The governors and those other leaders that had conspired against Daniel to be cast into the lion's den when Daniel came out on the other side unharmed by even one lion's mouth the Bible says that the king made a decree that those governors and those leaders along with their wives and their children were to be thrown into the lion's it rose and fell together. I don't want to just give you the falling part, but it rose together as well, the family did. According to Leviticus, it wasn't just the priests that ate of the wave of breast and the heave shoulder offering that came from the peace offering, but the Bible tells us that the priest's sons and his daughters, their family also ate of those sacrifices that were brought. Their position, amen, benefited and influenced influenced everybody in their family. It wasn't just high priest Aaron that got to partake of that. No, when you had an Aaron, a father or a husband, he represented a family. And so every kid, didn't matter how many he had, was going to be partaken of the same food and of the same sacrifice that was brought because they were all a part of the same family. Amen. The Bible tells us that after Gideon had caught a couple of the kings of Midian, one by the name Aziba and the other one by Zalmunna, those are great names, amen, of the kings of Midian, that he asked these kings a question in Judges 8 and verse number 18. He said unto Ziba and Zalmunna, he says, what manner of men were they? whom ye slew at Tabor. And they answered, As thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the children of a king. And he said, They were my brethren. 
even the sons of my mother, as the Lord liveth, if ye had saved them alive, I would not slay you. In other words, Gideon is asking these two kings. He knows there's been a slaughter, but he says he's not sure about who they slaughtered. So he says, what manner of men were they? In other words, what kind of men were they? What sort of men were they? And the answer came emphatically to them, basically to Gideon. They said, they were as you are. They were as you are. And so Gideon, hearing that, amen, knowing the dynamics and the close, if you will, connection of a family tie, Gideon says, undoubtedly, if that's the case, if they were the same manner that I was, if they were the same kind and sort as I was, then they were my brothers. They were, if you will, the sons of my mother. We have the same parents and he based all of that solely upon the answer that they gave to him that they were just like you are and Gideon says well I know they're my relation because our family has a if you will a chemistry a personality a label all to our own we're like one another because we spend time with one another we pray with one another we do all these things together Listen, folks, you know you've heard it said before. People see a family going by. It's like, well, that's a good family. Right? Or, 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 or that's, that family is a bunch of troublemakers. A family almost gleans and adopts and burrs a personality to it. A chemistry all on its own. That is the strong influence of a family. It assumes a personality by itself. It has a flavor all by its own. Everybody, I'm going to name drop here a little bit tonight. Everybody knows what type of family the Johnson family is. Everybody knows what type of family the McBroom family is. You understand? You you get an identity between the members of the family. It's within the chapter of our text is found and is recorded yet another battle that is stationed between the Israelites and the Philistines. The Bible tells us that each of these military uh, soldiers have stationed their place upon a mountain. Each of these had been encompassing that mountain for 40 days. The Bible declares that the Philistines have a champion. His name is Goliath. And champion Goliath would draw near every morning and every evening for those same 40 days challenging the armies of Israel challenging the armies of the living God. Hallelujah. The Bible describes that King Saul who was king of this time of Israel that he was found with the armies of Israel in the valley of Elah. The Bible describes them that Saul and those army members were found in the valley and they would fight with or against the Philistines until the champion would come out in the morning or until Goliath would come out in the evening and it was at that point of time they would all cower back to their stations none including Saul would fight against the towering champ 
Goliath. And so they had this constant thing of engaging in battle and fleeing because of the champion Goliath that would come on the stage. But enters another personality in 1 Samuel chapter number 17. The Bible says that David was commissioned by his father to go check on his brothers. Yes, there were a few of the boys that were in the army of Saul. David was commissioned to go check on his brothers, take some food, take some provision, see how the status of the battle was, take a pledge from the boys. And the Bible says that David showed up and Goliath happens to come out on one of those occasions of defying the armies of the Lord. And David is somewhat infuriated by what he is witnessing. He is somewhat infuriated by what he is seeing taking place and seemingly nothing happening in the moment. David wants to know what's going to be done for such a man that would go out on the battlefield and fight against Goliath. All of the things were told to him. A man of the perks of going out and fighting and perhaps even defeating a man Goliath. Amen. And so David he has a confidence about him. David is a young man but he has a tenacity about him. When the king won't even go to fight. When the captain of the war won't even go to fight. David is starting to talking about going out to fight. He's starting to talk about, amen, how in the world should anyone allow that this champion, this Goliath, to defy the armies of his God. He's a young man. Some would even term him somewhat of an unexperienced man and perhaps even ill-equipped. But David says, no, I believe we can do this. He has a conversation. I'm not going to say the whole story. It's a long story if you want every detail. But he even has a conversation with Saul about going out on the battlefield Saul even himself is not too sure about David you're just a lad you're just a youth this man has been a man of war from his youth he's going to just feed you to the fowls of the air do you really think if you're going to go please at least let me equip you with some armor let, let me better equip you with some things to go out on the battlefield with and yet David denied amen taking any of that armor with him he just has a shepherd's bag, a few, few smooth stones. He has his rod, his staff of the shepherd, amen, in his hand. But there's something I want you to notice concerning this character, David. David is very confident because as he's standing in opposition to Goliath, this is some of the words that he is speaking to this Philistine, this giant. David with confidence says, I'll smite you. He tells him, I'll take your head from off your shoulders. Staring God's word. He says, I'll, I'll, I'll take the carcass of you and I'll take the carcass of the rest of the Philistines and we'll feed them to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. When I'm finished with you, you're going to be bird food and beast food. That's all there is about it. He says, so that everybody will know that there is a God in Israel. For that matter, the Bible says, as Goliath drew nigh to David, David, the scripture says, hasted and ran out to me him and so this is the setting in which our text truly falls verses 55 and verse number 56 actually come to this setting where David is running out to meet Goliath amen 
And the Bible says this. When Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine. He's going out there to fight what Saul wouldn't. He's going out there to fight what Abner wouldn't. He asked his captain of the host, whose son, whose son is this young man? Or if you will, as the Living Bible puts it, what sort of family does this young fellow come from? And the reason being because here we are in the wake of one of history's most remarkable and daring confrontations in the Old Testament scripture. Saul just wants to know one simple thing about this tenacious lad. Tell me about his family. Tell me about his father. Tell me about his home. Because Saul already knows about David's occupation. David's already stood before him telling him that he tended sheep. Saul already knows about his occupation Saul already knows about the exploits that David did on the backside of that pasture concerning the lion and the bear David's already told him about that Saul knows that David amen did not accept his armor to go out on the battlefield with Saul understands amen while he being king and his captain of the army while they stood there they allowed by all appearances a young lad a ill-equipped boy go out and fight a man of war that's been a man of war from his youth he doesn't ask Abner when Saul turns to Abner and David is on his way out Saul's not asking Abner hey uh, just a quick uh, clarifying question well, what was his occupation no he's not asking that he's not asking about his fighting experience he He's not asking about Abner, will you enroll him in the army for future battles? No. What he wants to know is, what about that boy's family? What makes him different than you and I? What makes him want to go out there and we've just been settling right here? What is it about that boy's upbringing? What has he been exposed to? What has he been around? What type of influence has he had in his life? Oh, I declare in this moment tonight, we need to do the due diligence, if you will, amen, of husbands and wives, amen, fathers and mothers in the home, amen, that would put a mark on our children, that would cause people to scratch their head and say, what is it about that son or that daughter? Who's their mother? Who's their father? Who are their parents? What's influenced their life? What type of tributary has flown into their spirit to make them like they are? What? Oh, my God. Someone say amen. See, he wants to know what, what about his father? What about, what about his family? Consider here just for a moment. Saul is asking this question. Saul, the son of Kish. Saul, the son of Kish. His daddy kept donkeys. David's daddy was Jesse. His daddy kept sheep. <laughs> As a matter of fact, just starting to peel back, if you will, some of the layers of the family they came from. Saul is seen in Scripture at one particular time before he was ever extended the role of kingship. He was found looking for the lost donkeys of his father. 
Contrast that with David who knew how to safeguard and keep the sheep of his father. Hallelujah. David knows how to safeguard. That was just not just intuition on David's part. (laughs) Somebody had shown and taught David what an enemy in the pasture looks like. Hallelujah. Somebody had taken some time, amen, to invest in David concerning the sheep. But when we consider Saul, he's having to go about, wonder here and there, to find some lost donkeys of his father. I don't know if it was a lack of diligence or oversight, but somebody wasn't too, if you will, intentional about keeping track of the fold. Someone say hallelujah. For that matter, when we look at Scripture, Kish, who Saul is the son of, Kish means basically this, hard, difficult, power. As a matter of fact, if you want to get a little personality or way that Kish may have been, let's look at what he wasn't. The Bible says that whenever Saul was eventually anointed to be king and that he come among some people, and the Bible says that his heart was turned into another heart and he had become another man. The Bible says that he started doing some things there among the prophets and prophesying that some observers over here even looked at David and their words were these. Basically, is this the son of Kish? Is this why? Because the way that Saul was composing himself, acting in his demeanor in that moment was an absolute contrast to the way that daddy was. So that tells me a little bit, if you will, about the personality, amen, the feel, the chemistry of the Kish family, amen. If they looked at at Saul in that moment under the inspiration of the Spirit and said, is this Kish's son? Because he's not acting right now much like Kish acts. Someone say amen. So evidently Kish was some of some other sort, of some other personality. But whenever we hear that David said, I am of the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Hallelujah, Jesse. Some say the meaning of Jesse's name isn't totally clear, but they have submitted some meanings for Jesse's name. Some say that his name means firm. Others say that his name means a gift or an offering like an oblation unto the Lord. But there's one among them that is particularly interesting. They say that his name means Yahweh exists. Yahweh exists. Folks, I'm starting to see bleed out the pores of David the heritage and the labeling of his father and his family that Yahweh exists because whenever David shows up on the battlefield and he's seeing the war set in array, he tells those people that are around him that Goliath is defying the armies, not so much of Israel, but the armies of the living God. Whenever David is standing there, he says the Lord will deliver him unto me. Whenever David is about ready to go on the battlefield, David is saying with the utmost confidence, Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. He says there is a God in Israel and the battle 
battle is the Lord's. Honey, you're hearing that from a lip, from a family member that's a part of a constituency of members that says Yahweh exists. God is real. He's alive. He's powerful. He's no worthy. He I'm talking about family influence. You don't say things like that unless you've heard things like that. You don't mention things like that unless some of that's been embedded in the fibers of your spirit, in the fibers of your soul. That's not something he whispered. That's something he went out with a boisterous charge from his mouth. There is a God in Israel and the battle is the Lord's. But his daddy and family was labeled by Yahweh exists. Someone say hallelujah. See, there's a saying among the old Talmud writings of the Jews that's basically this. The talk of the child in the street is that of his father and mother. Family influence. See, Saul must be thinking of something. I watched him go, but I've had the same opportunity to go. And as he watched him, he asked, who's his family? Who's his, who's his daddy? But if you look at the history of Saul, Saul, the only altar he ever built was one that he never finished. He did not inquire, the scripture says, of the Lord. What do we got here? I know we have personal choice and decisions, yes. But there is also a heavy weight in the scale called family influence. Amen. (laughs) It's interesting that Saul is interested in David's family heritage because of the actions that he sees David doing right now in this moment. The only reason, listen to me clearly, the only reason... David's fight the Goliaths on the public battlefields is because they've been taught how to fight the lions and the bears in the privacy of the family sheep pastures. Can I say tonight, he can hold, if you will, the head of Israel's foe in the presence of the king because the scripture says he's held the beard of a lion, his family's foe, at home in the enclosures of their pasture. Someone say, Amen. I'm trying to tell us tonight, as parents, that we need to arise to the occasion and we need to invest in the family. We need to invest into the young boy and the young girl that sits at our table and sleeps in the room next to us. And I know we've all had times, oh, they've gotten on our nerves and this and that. But let me tell you, there is something embedded in that life that's going to supersede your life. Amen. That can be and cause heads to wonder what type of family did they come from. We must invest in their lives. The lives of our kids concerning the things that be of God. Because it will make the difference. Our investment may make the difference of whether or not they're a Saul that watches somebody else to go fight. Or whether they're a David that goes to fight when nobody else will. 
Hallelujah. Because of a family's, uh, amen, influence. I don't believe it is a co- a coincidental tonight. Amen. I don't believe it's coincidental concerning the influence of a family in so much that even in the spiritual context of family, there is no wonder then that the terms in Scripture, amen, talk about our new life in Christ as being born again experience or as being adopted into the family of God as a son or daughter because when I look at both of those things being born again or even adopted they are pertaining to families amen we are made part of the family of God and so we got a new fresh influence in our lives if he made that terminology plain enough so that we would know someone that was influenced by family the family of God then know well that your real life literal family how you conduct yourself in your lives in the privacies of your home will have influence in the public affairs of life as well family influence amen look at this I won't hold you much longer but look at this so Saul asks the question after David returns from battle it's inter- he says Abner I want you to know find out who this is when he goes out to battle Abner's not following him out there you know. so with confidence David finishes comes back and when he returns he brings Abner brings him before Saul with the head of the Philistine that no one else would even approach or try. He's got in his head. I can just, here it is by his hair, you know, dangling. And so I ask him then, whose servant are you? And David tells him, the servant of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. But look at verse 18. Let's, let's ignore all the chapter and verse divisions here that was created after the fact of the writing of God's word. And it came to pass, 1 Samuel 18, 1. And it came to pass... When he had made an end of speaking unto Saul. We don't have every detail concerning the conversation. But it started off with a question about his family. And he commenced by telling who his father was. I don't know how long he talked about his family. But when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul. Look what the scripture says. The soul of Jonathan. David's son. Or rather Saul's son. Was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul you know what is almost presented to us here in the scripture that the drawing of Jonathan to David the knitting of his soul to David is seemingly predicated on how David talked about his family I mean, setting over there or standing in the shadows of where the conversation between David and, and Jonathan's dad was taking place, hearing every little inflection of voice, perhaps excitement or, or honor or, or pride that David had, maybe. And as he began to speak about his father, the one who has a summation of a name that Yahweh exists, his soul reaches out to David's soul. He feels drawn to him. I wondered, I'm just posturing this tonight. I'm wondering if Jonathan, what Jonathan longed for and was drawn to in David and his family is something that he wished he had had. Something that he wished he had. 
from his own family. Let me tell you something tonight. I can't tell you the number of times. And Roberto is my witness here tonight, Sister Mason. The school kids had come to our home growing up. And they would state, there's just so much love here. There's just so much peace here. Feel like you can be yourself here. We did not have the grandest of homes. We just had just a small little house. Dad worked on it most weekends and most of his life that he was there. But there was a chemistry and there was a personality within the home that gave prominence to the fact that Yahweh existed. And in all of this, here's Jonathan being drawn, hearing David speak about all that. If I could, I wonder in Jonathan, he said, my soul's going to be knit with this man because I'd like to be tied and tethered to a family like that. Oh, God. I would like to be tied and tethered to a family like that that underscores that God exists, that will fight the battles necessary. Because listen, folks, listen to me very well. And I think this even may predate, amen, 1 Samuel 17. I'd have to look at it, if not even after the fact. You'll remember there was a time that there was no war. Saul wasn't allowing them to go fight the Philistines. And, and, and they were not to, supposed to eat anything. They were fasting so that they could have, you know, the advantage. And the Bible says, John, Jonathan really didn't hear word of it. And him and his servant go on this little escapade of fighting against them and said, if the Lord will, we will overtake. And they did. What are you saying? I'm saying even in the spirit of Jonathan, there is this fighting spirit that was try arise, trying to arise even amid the family environment that he may have had. And so when he sees David the warrior standing before Saul the watcher, he says, I'd like to be tied to a family like that. And we know from that point forward that Jonathan, and I say this with all regard, and please don't read into something here that I'm more than what I'm saying, but Jonathan was more respectful of the tie he had with David in that family than what he had with his own father. Because one, underscored the fact that Yahweh exists. And the other one, if they did, evidently it was not communicated as well. Tonight I come to a close here this evening. I come to a close. Who, whose son is he? What, what's, what's his family like? You saying, Brother McGee, if, if we've been raised a certain way, then there's no hope. No, I'm not saying that. I've already talked to you about the born again. I've already talked to you about being adopted as a son or a daughter of God. No, 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 no. But this is more so for us here this evening that are parents, more so for us here that have the responsibility of leading, guiding, and instructing children within our homes, teenagers within our homes. Anybody still living at home? <laughs> and the things of the Lord. David left with God can do this. This is God's army. God's going to bring deliverance. God's fine. Because there was some theme of God evidently among his home. And we need that same theme today among the concourses and areas of our households. There's been a lot of things shut down over the past few weeks. 
that's kind of, if you will, narrowed the playing field of what we can talk about in the home. What we can do. What we can invest ourselves in. We're just kind of left with the four walls and with mom and dad and brother and sister. And hopefully, minds have been turned toward that God element of society. That God element of households. If you're going to spend any time in the rest of this month, spend the time in this, investing in the fact that God exists, God is in control, and that whenever they leave the nest, that there is no other demarcation that's any greater on their life than that label and personality of God that's hopefully flown into and through your home. There's a lot of things, folks, I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. For even just a, uh, a male individual, there's a lot of things I don't know. And again, I have no problem with any of these. But there, there's a lot of things about sports I don't know. There's, there's, there's. There's other areas of life, you know. You know, you want to talk about, you know, going on some extreme vacations as a kid growing up. Don't really know anything about that. Oh. But what I did know when I left the house is that God manifested himself in the flesh. Bore stripes upon his back, crown a thorn upon his heads, blood shed, not just for my sickness, but for my sin, and I could have a new life in him. And though I may never have everything that this world has to offer, as long as I have him, I still have more than what they could ever offer. I knew that Yahweh, God, exists. I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that there would be sons and daughters and children and grandchildren that would have the influence of their family upon them and that influence would have a bend toward the righteousness of God. That chemistry of the family would have a bend toward, if you will, the holiness of God. Oh, that it would cause just humanity to scratch their heads and say, tell me about their family. Tell me about their upbringing. Tell me about what is it that's a part of their family that's different perhaps than my own. I'd like to be tethered and tied to a family like that. I'd like to be tethered and tied and under the umbrella of, of, of a distinction and a label like a family like that. I think this would be a good time right now, First Apostolic Church family. If you got your sons or daughters there, or if it's just your husband and wife, whoever it may be, I think it would be a good time as we close out those, this service that you, you just coddle them and bring them close into your arms right now. And you begin to pray over your home.
You begin to pray over your house. You begin to pray over your family and the type of influences that you, and impressions that you're making on impressionable minds. Hallelujah. What type of images and, and, and what type of, if you will, uh, paths that you are charting and furrows that you're making in the ground for them to follow. I pray right now you would pray with your family in your homes all across, amen, this city. And if you're watching and you're not a member of our church, you grab your family right now and you pray, God, let there be a great and tremendous, holy, righteous family influence that would take place from this established edifice on whatever street and whatever state. In the name of Jesus Christ, let it be, Lord, a place, God, where they will know when they leave that God does exist. God will fight the battle. God will bring deliverance. God will and is able. In the name of Jesus, God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.